Listen to FERC Commissioner Neil Chatterjee explain the roles of the markets and the federal regulator in the rapidly evolving electric sector in this episode of Grid Forward Chats. Grid Forward Chats is hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director Bryce Yonker. Today we have with us Commissioner Neil Chatterjee. Commissioner Chatterjee was brought on to FERC in 2017. For the majority of that time, he served as chair, and he's still serving in a role as commissioner there at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Commissioner Chatterjee, thanks for being on with us. Hey, thank you for having me. So, Commissioner Chatterjee, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you end up into this role? Um, What brought you to the position that you serve with FERC? Uh, Well, yeah, a little bit of background for me. Uh, My two loves in life are sports and politics. My athletic career stalled out in the eighth grade when I stopped growing. And so uh, after college and law school, I thought, uh, what better way to uh, 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 pursue my interest than to seek out a career in public policy? I was actually in graduate school on September 11th, 2001, decided in that moment I wanted to do something to serve my country. So uh, after graduating from law school, uh, I moved to D.C. with my wife and took an internship uh, on the House Committee on Ways and Means, paid less than my rent, but uh, I knew I'd be passionate about the work, and if I loved it, then I'd have the chance to potentially succeed uh, working in this field. Kind of grinded my way up uh, uh, through the the legislative branch, uh, working staff roles in the House and the Senate, ultimately had the opportunity to work for my uh, home state senator, Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, who was serving as the Senate minority leader at the time I joined his staff. One thing that I don't think people know uh, publicly about uh, how folks get appointed to these boards and commissions, the Senate leader of the party that doesn't control the White House identifies that party's candidates for these bipartisan boards and commissions like FERC, the FCC, the SEC, the CFTC. So during the eight years that President Obama was in office, Senator McConnell picked the Republicans for these boards and commissions. And so I was his principal energy policy advisor. It was my job to sort of identify and vet candidates for FERC. And so I had to follow the agency very closely I wanted to make sure that the people we were putting forward on behalf of Senator McConnell, you know, uh, uh, shared, you know, some of his views on on how to operate within the parameters of an independent agency. There was a vacancy that arose in 2016. I thought I had a perfect candidate for it. Put this person in front of Senator McConnell. Senator McConnell uh, uh, signed off on this person. Uh, They ultimately got cold feet, backed out. Uh, I said, whoa, like, I'm in a jam now. What do I do? Uh, I I need someone uh, to fill this critical vacancy. This person said, let's go to dinner. Uh, I have the the perfect candidate for you. So I went to dinner, was expecting to get a list of potential other candidates. And this person said, Neil, you need to do this. And for these reasons. And uh, uh, it it startled me at first. It wasn't something I had been planning or seeking to do. Uh, But ultimately, uh, after talking to some folks that I trust, uh, I was convinced to, to step forward for it. 
I uh, asked Senator McConnell if he would consider me for uh, for the vacancy, uh, and he agreed. And then ultimately, uh, I was uh, nominated and confirmed to the commission. Uh, had a great experience serving both as a commissioner and as chair. And uh, I'm back to serving my role as a commissioner. I've got a, another 120 or so days left on my term, and I intend to run through the tape and uh, keep working until uh, until my term's done. Well, thanks for that amazing background. So today is Thursday, March 11th. Um, wow, what uh, amount of things that have happened to to our country, to our society, let alone this industry in the last year. Um, how are you? How are the folks at the agency doing? You know, at this juncture. Yeah, interesting point. It was one year ago today, exactly that. Uh, I made the decision with the executive director of the agency to transition to full telework. And it's really been remarkable that a year later, the agency is really function, not just functioning, we're, we're, we're thriving. Staff has really stepped up and, and come through in a major way. And a lot of folks in the regulated community have said to me that, they just appreciate that with all the stressors they have in their lives, that FERC is just one less thing for them to worry about. Knowing that FERC is operating, knowing that filings are being met in a timely manner, that we've taken some steps to provide regulatory clarity so folks understand you know, how we are treating the pandemic conditions in evaluating compliance so there's no guesswork it, it's really worked remarkably well. What I said to the staff, you know, there was some pressure throughout the, the year, uh, particularly towards the election, to, to maybe bring folks back to the building before they were ready to do so. And I just said, hey, as long as we continue to meet our mission, I will stand up to that and I will resist that pressure. And, uh, and we were able to do that because we've been getting the job done and getting the job done incredibly well. Uh, it's a little sad for me. You know, uh, it's been a year and because I do have an expiring term, uh, the reality is starting to sink in that it's not likely that I'll have an opportunity to be back in the building uh, with staff before my term ends. Uh, but it's still been fine. I'm in constant communication with the uh, the folks throughout the agency. And most recently, we did our, our FEVS survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, where they gauge things like employee satisfaction. And I'm really proud of the fact the survey was taken uh, in the fall while I was still chairman. And we actually got the highest employee satisfaction score that we've ever had at the agency. And to have that in the middle of a pandemic, an unprecedented pandemic, is just a testament to, uh, to, the, to the, the quality and character of the people uh, within this agency. And, uh, you know, I, I got a little bit emotional about it, uh, seeing the, uh, the results, because it's something that more than any of the substantive things that we accomplished during my tenure, I think the fact that we've been able to keep people safe and working and having that high level of satisfaction in these circumstances is probably the thing I'm proudest of. Well, Commissioner, thank you for your leadership and keeping the commission running smoothly among such a unique year. I, we, we've interviewed a number of utility leaders this last year, and, and I've really been amazed at the transition that they've made as well. So thank you for, for the work you've done to keep things smooth there. Well, let, let's jump right in. Um, FERC 2222 or 2222 or 
two by four, and I want to know what you're calling it, kicked up some dust here recently to really look at finding a way that, you know, aggregated resources could could provide um, some value in, in the marketplace. Can, can you talk a little bit about the role that you uh, think that that ruling w- will play and, and, and the importance um, in your leadership in bringing that forward? I am so excited and optimistic about the possibilities that FERC order quad deuce uh, <laughs> will present to us in the future. Um, I think it was uh, former uh, FERC chairman uh, Wellinghoff said it was the most significant order that the commission has ever put out to just show you an indication of how important it was to me, not just professionally, but personally as well. People have asked, well, how did you come up with 2222? So my daughter's birthday is February 2nd and my wife's birthday is October 22nd. So 22-2 for my daughter, 1022 for my wife. And so this was such a significant undertaking. Three years of work went into this. Uh, and uh, I wanted to honor it in a way I've had the ability. I had the ability the whole time I was chair to choose the numbers for orders. And I never once weighed in on it. This one was of such importance to me that I chose, you know, something that was personally significant. And I think it has the capacity to fundamentally change how we generate, distribute and consume power in this country. I don't think I'm being naive when I say we may look back a decade from now and say that this was the most significant action that this agency most certainly could have taken to to mitigate emissions, not just in the power sector. As I look at the possibilities for Quad Deuce and I think about electric vehicles and if one electric vehicle owner you know, doesn't have the capacity to, to, to impact markets. But if through the power of innovation and aggregation, you know, we can harness thousands and thousands of EV users and suddenly compete against the power plant down the street, you may further incentivize the deployment of electric vehicles, which could lead to not only reductions of carbon emissions in the power space, but in the transportation space as well. And so the the possibilities are endless and exciting. Um, there's a lot more work that needs to be done with compliance and implementation. So I'm not uh, taking a victory lap or taking my foot off the gas on it. We got to continue to work hard and make sure that it's implemented in a way that it can really maximize its impacts. And I think my final point, why I'm so excited about it, is we intentionally draft it in a way to account for innovation so that new technologies can be spurred on by this uh, uh, and adapt. And so uh, to me, it's the perfect model for how regulation can can drive innovation within markets. This wasn't a mandate or a subsidy. We are simply removing barriers to entry for these innovative new technologies, allowing them to compete and to be compensated. And uh, I, I think there's a lot to look forward to down the line as, uh, as this comes into place. Well, it was, it was former uh, chair Wellinghoff who was on with us not long after, after that, that order came into place and he called it two by four. So that's where I came up with that one. <laughs> so from here, you know, what are the next steps at the agency related to that? Is, is there a clear set of next steps or how does it go forward from, from here? Cause I know a lot of industry folks are keenly interested on moving that along. 
So we still have to address rehearing. Uh, and, and so uh, I don't want to get ahead of the chairman or on scheduling, but uh, uh, that's obviously on the radar. And then, uh, and then you'll have compliance filings uh, from the various RTOs and ISOs uh, that will come due. And I, I imagine the commission will spend the better part of probably this year and, and next year uh, working through the compliance filings um, as, uh, as the RTOs and ISOs uh, work to implement it. So I know there was two other orders we wanted to talk about and then a number of other topics. So pivoting over, you know, interconnection uh, remains and, and some of the permitting uh, elements remains, you know, a, a bottleneck for a number of the utility scale as well as distributed storage and renewables and other resources. Can you talk a little bit about the implications of 841, 845 and, and the other FERC rulings that get into those, um, those processes and topics? Look, I view Order 845 as important and foundational, to be sure. But there's, of course, more we we can and should do. In 845, uh, which we issued about two years ago, we directed changes to our interconnection rules that, that removed these artificial barriers to the entry of new technology, similar to what I was referring to with 2222. Our rules hadn't been really reviewed in almost 15 years. And so technologies like storage, they weren't even a part of the discussion back then. So we directed rule changes to just create efficiencies. Uh, For example, we allowed generators to make use of surplus interconnection capacity, which could make it easier to interconnect a storage resource or a smaller generation resource this could create a new revenue stream for the existing generator and a less costly access opportunity for uh, for smaller resources. So from my view, efficiencies like that have to be the driver for efforts like this. One important area I think FERC will be focused on in the uh, in the coming year that is uh, critical of a critical importance to me is on hybrid resources. When I was chair, I convened a technical conference to look at the unique issues facing these resources, which are loosely defined as a generation resource paired with a storage resource. Look, they're just unique challenges for hybrid resources when it comes to interconnection, including a lack of clarity regarding how such resources are modeled and included in interconnection processes. And we're just seeing a lot more hybrid resources in our interconnection queues. Some folks have estimated that about a quarter of solar generation megawatts uh, in queues, almost maybe 100 gigawatts total, was part of a hybrid configuration. And it's only expected to increase substantially. So this is an issue the commission really needs to tackle head on. And I'm very glad that uh, Chairman Glick is focused on it uh, just like I was. Thanks. And maybe the third of, of the orders or the, the official work that, that you all have stepped through in these last few years, uh, we know that you've addressed um, cloud and, and NERC and SIP are sitting with clarifying the process for cloud investments maybe later this year. Maybe you, if you have some visibility into that, you can share that process and timeline. But, it, but more in general, you know, how important from your perspective is you know the opportunity for operators to be leveraging that um, set of technologies and solutions for running their systems effectively? 
Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, I can definitely speak to what FERC and NERC have been focused on. Uh, it's really pretty simple. We want our regulated entities to be able to benefit from these technologies, but to do so in a way that is safe and secure. And we're also aware that the existing SIP reliability standards don't really consider the use of these technologies. And there was, a, there was just a need to provide regulatory certainty and clarity to industry. And so to do that, we issued a notice of inquiry about a year ago to help us gather information about the potential benefits and risks of virtualization and cloud computing services when it comes to the bulk electric system. After reviewing the comments we received in response, uh, the commission recently issued an order that expressed support for NERC's ongoing projects examining potential modifications to the SIP reliability standards to facilitate the secure use of uh, third-party storage on the cloud and virtualization technologies. We expect NERC to file revisions to the SIP reliability standards with the commission in December uh, of this year. However, recognizing that those NERC projects don't go as far as to address the use of the cloud to conduct bulk electric system operations, the order also directed NERC to begin a formal process to assess the feasibility of utilities voluntarily conducting BES operations in the cloud and report back to us with, uh, with an informational filing by the end of the year. I think this is all to say in a long-winded senatorial way that we're supportive of the actions NERC has taken to date, but we expect NERC to make significant progress in 2021 to provide entities the, uh, the certainty they need to, uh, to benefit from these technologies in a safe and secure manner. Thanks for that. So moving kind of into the topic areas, I, I know that you're a huge proponent of markets. Uh, I'm out here in the West. And as you know, there's a, um, a winding story to evolve regional markets out this way. Um, you know, how important is access to regional markets, you know, for stakeholders that are operating in their local jurisdictions? What are some of your thoughts around, you know, the evolution of markets and, and the importance that they play here in, in, in the U.S.? I mean, as you noted, you know, I'm a huge supporter of markets. I believe markets have delivered tremendous benefits for consumers, for the economy, and for the environment. I think much of the reduction that we've seen in carbon emissions in the U.S. power sector has occurred not because of regulations or mandates or subsidies, but due to market forces coupled with the falling cost of clean energy and uh, consumer demand. And so I'm, I'm very excited about what we've seen in these markets. And I think really the EIM, what we're seeing there is a big success story. You've got over a billion dollars in benefits to consumers since its inception. And I think one of the keys to that market development has been just driven by the, by the region and the collaborative approach of EIM members and CAISO. One of the things I'm concerned about in California uh, and the West as a whole right now is resource adequacy, but I've been encouraged by the steps that CAISO and the Northwest Power Pool are making. So we certainly haven't gotten to a point where we can be comfortable with the situation, but I do think uh, it at this stage can still 
be characterized as a, as a success story. Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean apps. That way, you don't miss a single chat. And learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show. You know, let's get into one of the other, you know, top of mind topics. It's it's always in people's minds in this industry, but I think the last year, unfortunately, has just brought it much more to the forefront. You know, so the frequency and, and magnitude of the disruptions on our energy system, you know, were significant, may well be accelerating. Um, what role do you see um, that, that, that grid, grids and markets can can play to maintain high levels of reliability and really kind of address the resiliency issues that the system is starting to face? Uh, look, this is something that we've been contemplating for, for a while now. Uh, it's unfortunate. I, I think the uh, – and, and uh, I will be, you know, fully candid that I played uh, a role in this uh, – the the DOE NOPER that was proposed by Secretary Perry in the fall of 2017, I've said, stated publicly numerous times, I handled that poorly. Uh, it, 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 it was politicized from the get-go. With my background, I was still making the transition from partisan legislative aid to independent regulator and – I was just not careful with my rhetoric and didn't fully appreciate and understand the new role that I had stepped into. Uh, and, and I made a number of mistakes that I regret that, that put us on a poor course on this topic of grid resilience. So Chairman McIntyre came in and, and really settled the process. We voted unanimously. I got the vote right to close down the, 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 DOE NOPER. And then we opened this new proceeding on resilience. And I commended Chairman McIntyre for doing that at the time. I inherited that proceeding when when Chairman McIntyre tragically became ill and passed away. And I thought there was good work done by the staff, comments that came in from stakeholders and a a strong record that we had built. But because of the politicized nature of the DOE NOPER, I wanted to be certain that if we took any steps from that resilience docket, that it had to be consensus, that I had to get all of my colleagues on board. And we were just never able to achieve that consensus. And we had a lot of other things on our plate. Um, But I was disappointed that we shut down that docket in the immediate aftermath of what happened in ERCOT and Texas, which really brought these resilience issues to the forefront. I was pleased that, you know, uh, uh, a week later, the chairman announced a new proceeding to examine the climate impacts of resilience. I'm hopeful that all that good work and the record that was built in that original resilience docket that we voted to shut down, I dissented, simply making the point that there were legitimate and meritorious questions and solutions proffered in that docket. I'm hoping it can be a part of this new proceeding. Uh, and we all collectively need to work on it because you are right. Like this is this is something that has been testing grids, and it's going to continue to happen. And there's a range. We had a situation in California this summer, the result of extreme heat and wildfires, and then Texas most recently this winter due to extreme cold. And you have a very liberal state in California, a very conservative state in Texas. And both of their grids were challenged. So this is something that has to rise above politics 
the experts really need to dig in and we need to acknowledge that um, careful work has to be done here to ensure that uh, we can maintain a reliable and resilient grid in the face of what, uh, look, we just have to be eyes wide open about this. Climate change is going to continue to pose these kinds of challenges to grid operators, and and we need to 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 be better prepared moving forward. Absolutely. So on the topic of the dynamics in the industry, you know, local and and regional actions over recent years have really showed no signs of slowing down. Um, And the current administration is is talking about, you know, the possibility of a target to have a carbon free grid by 2035. Um, What role as the energy mix um, evolves in the system, what role do you think that the market centrally play to help facilitate that? Yeah, I think the markets will play the leading role in decarbonization. I, for one, I'm not big on things like targets. Um, So, for example, uh, I was working in Congress when uh, the Waxman-Markey legislation was proposed in, uh, you know, 2000, the late uh, aughts, uh, I think is what the the hipsters call it, the aughts. Um, And – if you look back at the targets that were set by Waxman-Markey, which never moved forward, we blew past those targets. Waxman-Markey was never enacted. The Clean Power Plan, as proposed by the EPA, was stayed by the courts. President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement, and yet emissions in the U.S. power sector continued to, cl- to decline because of market forces. Um, I have complete confidence that the markets will lead to decarbonization. And you're seeing industry across the board embrace this. Uh, I I look very specifically to the technical conference that FERC hosted last September and the proposed policy statement on carbon pricing that we voted out in October. If you look at the array of interests that filed comments in support of both the technical conference and the policy statement, it encompasses, you know, the entire breadth and depth of the energy industry. You've got, you know, uh, uh, OWEA and the NRDC and EPSA and the Natural Gas Supply Association all coming to the table, encouraging FERC to examine a price on carbon in, in markets. To me, that's a, that's a signal that uh, the industry is on board with market-driven solutions to decarbonization. Well, I have a couple questions before we get near our time here, uh, specific to the administration. Uh, obviously, you you have a lot of history coming from your background on both the House and the Senate. Um, the new administration seems to get be getting folks in important posts and its feet under itself on its priorities. You know, where do you see you know important priorities as as it relates to? Uh, you know, the energy industry and, and you know, the market components related. Yeah, I think uh, um, FERC is going to be at the epicenter of this conversation, along with DOE, most certainly. Um, uh, I think what we're seeing, and, and this is really important to me, in what has been an otherwise volatile regulatory landscape, FERC has sort of been a beacon of stability. 
uh, if you look, for instance, at EPA, EPA went one direction under the Obama administration, went a completely different direction under the Trump administration, and now is likely to reverse course again and go back in the other direction under the Biden administration. When it comes to energy, you know, entities are making 10, 20, 30 year investment decisions. Really hard to do that when the pendulum just keeps whipsawing back and forth like that. And so I think um, we've still got divided government, which makes the likelihood of some large scale national energy policy getting through Congress pretty difficult. So I think the agencies will continue to play a critical role. But I think in terms of durability and stability, a lot of the critical decisions are going to come through FERC. Uh, I think, you know, looking upon my tenure as chair, did the commission go in a different direction than my predecessors in the prior administration? Sure, but it wasn't a dramatically different direction. Likewise, I think Chairman Glick, uh, in the agenda he's laid out, a lot of it is building upon things that I put into motion, as we mentioned, on 2222 and 841 and 845 and hybrid hybrid resources and dynamic line ratings, offshore wind integration. Uh, and so I think the commission will go in a different direction under Chairman Glick than it went under me. But on a lot of core issues, it's not going to be a dramatically different direction. I think we can get a lot of important work done. Uh, and the most important thing about it is that it will be durable and regulated community can have confidence that there will be stability in this space. Well, my final question is a perfect transition from your last remarks. Um, so you're planning your departure, uh, as you said, through the finish line in June. Um, what are you hoping your legacy will be? And, and what do you hope the organization really continues to take seriously and, and focus on? As I reflect upon you know, my legacy, uh, it's truly remarkable to me how much we got accomplished. When you look at what we did from, you know, some tackling some really delicate issues within markets to cutting edge uh, uh, market supportive policies like 841 and 2222, moving the ball forward on carbon pricing, what we have accomplished in the cyberspace as those threats have continued to evolve. We created a new intelligence coordination unit here within the agency. Uh, we've made some some really dramatic uh, improvements that will fundamentally impact energy policy in this country for a decade plus going forward. Did it in some of the most unimaginable circumstances possible. My predecessor, Chairman McIntyre, who was a dear friend and mentor to me, you know, for, for him to pass away while serving as chair and for me to have to step in uh, under those circumstances, that was personally and professionally vexing. We've had multiple times due to a loss of quorum and then ultimately Chairman McIntyre's illness where we had huge backups uh, uh, that occurred and backlogs. Under any other tenure, just getting through the backlogs and keeping the commission moving forward would have been seen as a significant legacy. The fact that we were able to get so much accomplished on top of that, uh, and then as I mentioned at the onset, to be able to do all of that over the past year in the face of an unprecedented global pandemic, to keep the place running and keep folks safe, and have employees with this high satisfaction score uh, I'm just very, very proud of what we've been able to done uh, and accomplish. Um, 
really the credit goes to to the team that I've had around me throughout my tenure. I've basically had the same core team throughout my four years, and they're just all stars. and And the credit goes to them. I think that I'll be able to walk out of here on June thirtieth with my head held high. Not everyone will have agreed with every decision that I made, but I think I'm hopeful people will say that I tried to do it right. Even when I got it wrong, my intentions were right and my head and heart were in the right place. And I was a true independent regulator. Commissioner Chatterjee, thank you for your service on the commission, for your attention to such critical issues. We appreciate the time with you today. Thanks for being on to share your perspectives. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region. 